The Dark Word is a podcast about writing, writers, and those who read those writers. The goal of this podcast is to focus on the profession of writing, whether it be the creative process, the business side of things, or simply offering advice on how to be a pro. We'll be hearing from some of the best in the business over the upcoming episodes. And true to our name, The Dark Word focuses on writers who tend to hang out in the shadowy side of the room. These are the names you think of when you hear horror, suspense, noir. The names who have chilled you and thrilled you. So follow me down this dark hallway, because there's someone I'm dying for you to meet. Dying for you to meet. Dying for you to meet. And welcome to The Dark Word. I am your host, Philip Fracassi. I'm so delighted that you are joining me today. I... Uh, have with me today a great writer, probably one of those generational great writers um, that uh, I am just honored and, and humbled to have on the show. Uh, Brian Evanson is here. He is the author of a dozen books of fiction. Most recently, the story collection, The Glassy Burning Floor of Hell. His collection, Song for the Unraveling of the World, won the Shirley Jackson Award and the World Fantasy Award, and was a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Ray Bradbury Prize. His novel, Last Days, won the American Library Association's RUSA Award for Best Horror Novel of 2009. His novel, The Open Curtain, was a finalist for an Edgar Award and an International Horror Guild Award. His 2003 collection, The Wavering Knife, won the International Horror Guild Award for Best Story Collection. He's the recipient of three O. Henry Prizes, an NEA Fellowship, and a Guggenheim Award. His work has been translated into more than a dozen languages. He lives in Los Angeles and teaches in the Critical Studies Program at CalArts. What the bio doesn't say is that he's also a wonderful human being and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Brian, thanks for being here, buddy. Uh, You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. And uh, so I tend to dive right into these things, but I wanted to start by asking you about because i always think i think this is a very interesting thing for writers to hear when when somebody like yourself comes on the show what was your breakthrough moment in publishing and and who was it with how did it happen and and did you learn any lessons from those early publishing successes yeah i mean you know it was it was very random my breakthrough moment um i actually um didn't know what i was doing i just kind of sent things out at random it was back in the days when writer's market was a thing uh where you could get these kind of gigantic um books that were published every year that would just list different um uh, publishers and and you know both magazine publishers and book publishers and my my breakthrough in terms of book stuff was um i read about an editor named ashbel green um, in the uh, writer's market. And I was like, oh, I'll just send Ash Bell Green my stuff. So, and I had this thing that I thought of as a novel, which was not really a novel. It's like 60 pages um, and very, very weird. Uh, part of it ended up being in, in Altman's Town, my first book, book of stories. And sent it to him. And he um, wasn't interested, but he thought another editor at Knopf might be interested. And so forwarded it to him. And then I got a call from that editor, this guy named Gordon Lish, um, who was like, well, this is not really a book, but um, let's see if we can work towards a book and publish things in uh, this magazine he ran uh, called, called The Quarterly. And, and that was it. So it was just, you know, that was kind of the beginning for me. It was um, just luck as much as anything. I mean, I'd sent things out to 
um, you know, a number of places and had a few stories here and there, but, um, you know, not much. For, for a long time, the, the peace of mind that had, uh, that I made, made the most money on my first professional sale was actually a piece of poetry that I, I sent to Poetry Wales because I had a Welsh poet who was my, my teacher. And they paid me 50 pounds for it. Um, and then it just, they sent me a check for 50 pounds and then it became a whole thing of trying to figure out how do I actually cash this? <laughs> right. Uh, so I ended up, I think like $35 because of all the fees, but, but it was still, yeah, for a long time, that was my most, uh, uh, lucrative piece. Man, you know, I, you know, we know each other pretty well. We've been friends for years and I don't think I ever knew you wrote, I mean, I kind of assumed you probably wrote some poetry just because, mm -hmm. but I don't think, I don't know you ever, I didn't know you were a polished poet as well as yeah, story yeah. writer. No, I, you know, I published probably a half dozen poems. I, I haven't, I read a lot of poetry, but I haven't really written poems in the last um, decade or two. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that segues into, cause I think to your, to your point, I think what, well, I think what you're best known for and what you've put out the most work in is the short story form, but you've yeah. also had success with some novels. You've also had, and we, I want to talk a little bit about novellas, but I think because I'd like to have a, a kind of a unique focus for each of the guests that I have on the show. And I think what really interests me, and it's something I've been wanting to pick your brain about anyway, is with short fiction, your short fiction is so unique and um, there's so much uh, that's unspoken, mm -hmm. if I may you know, yeah. put it that way. Um, in your stories, and when you read one of your stories, yet yes, it's it, it's unsettling, and it's and it's creepy, and sometimes it's you know scary, mm -hmm. and but you, I always find myself kind of pausing at the end of one of your stories and really kind of think back to some of what you've been what what you were trying to accomplish with the stories, and I and and before we get into some of the specifics but i want to talk a little bit about like what is your generally speaking what is your approach to a short uh when yeah. you because because for me it's it's okay well you know i'm very much my stuff's very plot driven i'm kind of like mm -hmm. an entertainer i'm more like you know what's my hook and then you know and how do i kind of build a world around that hook and but i'm very curious as to what your approach is with your with your short fiction specifically yeah yeah well so i i think of myself as much more of a short story and novella writer than as a novelist um and i really love the form of the short story partly because you can kind of enter into a world and, and mess around in it and then you can exit um and uh, you know you, you don't have to kind of um, do it forever but it's a really kind of interesting exploration i think um yeah, I mean, I, I think my stories definitely have a lot of plot in them, but I, it's also pretty attenuated in some ways. And so it's, it's. I think when I'm writing a story, um, when I'm revising, especially, I'm thinking about what what can I leave out? What what can I get away with not having in here that the reader will be able to fill in for themselves? And the idea with that is that that you'll have a kind of more kind of intense personal experience with the story if if you feel like you're participating in it, if you're part of the creation process, um, but it is it's a balancing act because if you take too much out, then there's nothing there. Um, but you know if if you can just if you can kind of hit this point where you know you're you're very careful about the details you give, um, you you kind of have something that directs the reader in a certain way, but allows their own um, you know own experience and own fear to kind of enter into it. 
um, you know, then, then, then that I think can really be a powerful experience. So, so I've often had the experience when I've read a story somewhere, people will come up afterwards and they'll say, well, I really like this part of the story. And they'll describe something that didn't actually happen in the story, but that they filled in yeah. with their yeah, own experience. So, so, so I, I guess that's it as much as anything. When I'm, when I'm working on a short story, um, you know, they, they, they start in really different ways for me. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat, you know, usually it's just there's a, there's a little bit of curiosity or there's an idea that I play with or I'll be reading something else and whatever I'm reading will um, spark something for me. Um, and I think, you know, this story could have gone this other direction or, or you know, what about this? Um, and, and then I just, you know, I make a note of that. So I have all these notes in my phone um, that are kind of cryptic and really make no sense um, unless you're, you're me. Right. <laughs> and then, and then I, you know, when I'm working on a story, sometimes they'll just kind of sit in my, my mind and, 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 you know, kind of, uh, percolate, I guess. Um, and, and then eventually a story will come, um, out of those. So I, it's not very organized in terms of that. I don't think what's, what's my, what's my hook, what's my plot. I just think those things come for me as I'm writing them. Yeah. I mean, I, but the, I think, I think what makes me curious is do you, because I, okay. So a couple, couple things, we're going to, a couple things that ways that you have self-described your, your yeah. fiction is literary minimalism, epistological horror, which is the study of knowledge or, you know, and I'm, and, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, and, and ontology to a degree, you know, kind of the nature of existence. So it, do you, and I don't want to get overly, yeah brainy because i'm not a smart guy and i'll sound stupid but i want to talk a little bit about the the philosophical approach you have do you in other words when you come up with a story idea are you ever thinking that this would be a vehicle for a certain kind of philosophical theme or is that something that just kind of happens naturally as part of your writing process it's just sort of something it's just like your voice I think it's my voice as much mm -hmm. as anything. I, I was trained as a critical theorist, so I did a PhD in, in critical theory at University of Washington and specialized in French 20th century theory, a lot of kind of post-Hegelian stuff and, you know, um, Deleuze and other people. Um, and so I, I think just I kind of absorbed that stuff, read it almost like it was fiction in some ways, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, in a way philosophy is. Um, but it's, you know, it's a fiction that claims to explain the, the way the world works. Um, and, and I just think that, that that's kind of part of the way in which I think about the world and, and think about life. And it changes, you know, as time's gone on, there's, there's um, you know, my ideas of, of, of philosophy have probably changed and the people I'm interested in have changed. And so, so, so it's that. It's part of, you know, an exploration. So often I think if there's philosophical stuff going on in my work, it's not so much that I'm trying to uh, illustrate like something philosophically it's that that I'm having a conversation with these writers I've read and and I'm thinking about you know how I think in relation to them so yeah it, it, it's yeah it, it tries to be really dynamic hopefully it is I, I don't think see it as like you know teaching someone philosophy <laughs> right 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 and I, I I what's what's really unique about your stuff is that it is like i said earlier it is it can be terrifying and it can be and I'm, i know you hear this word all the time but unsettling it's it, you, you you're so good at unnerving the reader through through language and 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 the and your the to your point the hooks or the plot points are often like um almost surrealist i mean surrealist right in a way but also 
very real, like also very ta- like you do sympathize and empathize with these characters. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned Deleuze and I want to talk this, I want to talk about one thing that you said in a previous interview that I think is so great. And I, I want to explore it a little bit mm-hmm. is when you talk, and I think it was in reference to the open curtain, which to your novel or series yeah. of novellas or novel as a novel. Um, and you mentioned Deleuze and you mentioned Gautry called the disjunctive synthesis, uh-huh. which I looked up because when you said it, <laughs> and I was like, uh, and it was like things that hold together delicately, but in a way that never relieves tension. And I thought yeah. that was such a great uh, description of your work because you create, and again, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the story, the one about the, the cat killers. Yeah. It's in Altman's Killing time. Cats. Yeah, yeah. Killing cats. Okay. Which yeah. is one of my favorite stories of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, there's an immediate tension from the first like couple sentences, which mm-hmm. is, or even the first, I think it opens with, well, we got to, you know, we're going to kill, right, <laughs> we need right. your help. We're going to kill our cats. Yeah. Yeah. And no, the dilemmas, and, yeah, dilemmas presented right at the very beginning of that story. First yeah. Time. And then you have the, the, the character who, whose head you're, you're staying, you're, you know, who you're settled in is not one of the cat killers. He's this friend that these cat killer people have, want to help them and and the whole time he's kind of like (laughs) you know there's this thought is this you know in his head he's kind of like okay look i'm gonna help you but let's just keep it let's keep this professional right Right. and then there's this part where they kind of tell him the cat's names and he's like okay and you can kind of sense and you're not saying it in the story but i'm reading it and i'm like okay this guy's beginning to get pissed and i don't know and at no point is that stated it's you're just kind of like, hey, you know, I really didn't need to know that information. But in my mind, I'm like, oh man, this guy's bubbling, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. And which, and so there's that tension, and the tension carries and carries until the end. Yeah, is I don't know. It's just like this like whoop moment in your like in my heart when I read that last line, yeah. and it's not. And it's so I think it's my point is that you that. It's so it is so held together so delicately, mm-hmm. and the tension never gets rid of. And you could say the same with Altman's tongue. You could say there's so many of your stories that are that are just immediately uh, you're immediately uh, yeah. uh, in the in that world. You're in that moment. You're with these characters. So and I, in a couple and I think you said one thing which I wrote down because I thought it was such a great quote. Mm-hmm. You said um, there. Are, I, I like stories where, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Apologize. Sure. Where moments where I like I like coming to stories. Uh, I like creating moments where the story starts to crumble or fall away mm-hmm. was another thing that, yeah. and, 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 and when I wrote down, I don't remember the, the quote, I'm taking it out of context, impending apocalypse. So <laughs> these are things that I, I'll, so I want, could you talk a little bit about how for writers, maybe you could, um, is there, are there any takeaways you could talk about as to how you go about creating that tension, that, yeah. that sense of impending apocalypse without actually saying it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so that story in particular, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know if I can remember the first line, but it's something like they wanted to kill their cats, but the problem was the problem of transportation. That may not be exactly right. Um, so so there's this kind of thing that's stated at the very beginning of like this dilemma, and the narrator's outside of that, and then the narrator, as the story gets on, goes on, um, gets more and more complicit in what's happening. Um, but he's still trying to hold apart his kind of distaste for what's going on and his friendship for these people. Um, and, and that, you know, is, is this kind of this disjunctive synthesis, I think, in some ways, where he's stuck in the middle of these two things and, and just trying to kind of 
hold on to both of them without one of them compromising the other. Um, and he just, you know, I think as the story goes on, the, the problem is it's just harder and harder to do that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for, for me, I mean, you know, for so much of my, I, I think that one of the things I'm really afraid of most of all is, is just when reality itself seems different than I thought it was. And mm. so, so I, I think a lot of it's just kind of tying into this, this basic fear I have of like, um, you think the world is one way, then it's another way, and you feel like you're off balance and, and you're not sure what to do. Um, and then, you know, the killing cat story is, is in, in a way a story about etiquette. You know, what do you do if you are <laughs> a guest at someone's house and suddenly they decide to kill your cat, kill their right. cat. Um, and a lot of my stories have this, this weird, you know, kind of social dilemma, I think, in them. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing I would say is so much of what I write, uh, w when I was a kid, I was incredibly phobic. Um, so I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of the dark, um, kind of, you name it, I was afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of, um, the, the act of when I'm writing a story is kind of tying into my memory of what it felt like to be in those places and trying to share that with the reader. Um, and, and, you know, and in a way that's philosophical in, in the sense that you are trying to understand how to survive in a world that terrifies you um, and create a philosophy of life that allow you to function. Right. And it's even, and I think that gets into the ontological kind of queries that you sometimes address in your stories, which is like the, nat the nature of humans, you know, as individuals, yeah. but also, you know, in society, in the universe. Like I, and I think that's, there's a story and I'm, and I apologize again, but there's a story that you wrote. I have no, I can't remember the title. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I read it a couple of years ago, and uh, where I think they're, I think they're filming in a house, and the and the and the and the actor like disappears, and then the yeah. and they and the, and they're kind of being like in sort of a, and and that's. Do you remember the title of that story? I, for I think it's uh, line of sight. Um, line of sight. Yeah. yeah. Song for the unraveling of the world. Yeah. Unraveling of the world. Okay. Yeah. So for readers who are out there um, and uh, who want to check it out and. That's one of the stories I remember very clearly because I remember it being that you exactly that displacement of reality, yeah. which is that you felt like you were like, you almost felt like you were as a reader, you almost felt like you were being shown a different reality. Yeah. Um, and the Warren is the, and this is a transition of the novel. So mm -hmm. your novellas, I mean, so, cause the, the Warren is the same way, which is a novella science fiction novella, but is so um, about uh, the lack of identity uh, yeah. this, this, this search for what is real and, and what isn't real. Yeah. And, um, so first I want to talk a little bit about the novellas in general, because I know you're a big fan of the form. Yeah. I love the form. And I know that you have written, um, like, like I, it, it, you know, open curtain is, you kind of said is really a series of three novellas, right? Where you kind of wrote yeah. one and then you wrote kind of this, a, a totally just separate one, disparate mm -hmm. one. And then you wrote kind of like a tie it all together one right. um but talk can you talk a little bit about novellas as a form versus the short story did your approach change as a writer when you're going when you know you're going novella length or is it something that happens naturally as you're writing i mean it, it's so so I, I feel at this point that that if i start writing something i know within a page or two how long it's going to be mm -hmm. um and and you know so many novels that i read there's great novels out there but there's also so many novels that you read them and think huh this could really have been a hundred pages shorter and been a lot better. Cujo. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to call out anybody. I always but... <laughs> say, I always bring up Cujo in my, right. I know I love, I love King, but yeah. Cujo, Cujo would have been a fantastic novella. 
Right. No, I, I, I do agree with that. So, so, um, so there's that on the one hand, it's like, you know, I think a lot of novels are just a little too baggy and, and, and a little too, you know, interested in kind of spending a lot of time in their world. Um, but I, I think with a novella, there's this great thing about them where you still can read them as in a single setting if you want to. Um, it's a little more intensive, obviously, than reading a short story, but it's, it's possible to do. And so you can kind of count on readers remembering things about them in a way uh, that you can't with novels, which mm-hmm. are going to be read over multiple days. So you can be pretty um, exacting with the language. You can have echoes that kind of occur from one end to the other. Um, so, so, so for me, the, the thing that works so well about novellas is that they, you, you can have all the rigor of a short story in them, but they have a, a more scope. Um, you're kind of able to explore something a little bit larger um, and, and, you know, you kind of can, can take things in a, uh, you know, more expansive direction without it kind of, you know, and, and still count on the reader to, to really be involved in it and right. read it pretty quickly. So, so for me, it's kind of the perfect form. Um, you know, <laughs> I, and I, you know, every once in a while, I'll, there'll be an idea that just only works for me as a, as a novel, but even my novels are relatively short, I think. In terms of yeah. And, work. and you've, you've described, uh, I think you've described fiction before as ex- experiential mm-hmm. for, for a reader. And I think what you once one thing that you said once, uh, which I thought was really fascinating was that you said because of because a reader can read a novella in one sitting for the, you know, if they have an hour or two to do so, um, there, there it's, it's an, it's, it's a more immersive experience to your point. They're not reading it over a series of days or weeks. They're kind of like, they're experiencing it in one kind of big gulp, one swallow. And so you can kind of, I think you can sort of play more with, um, you can kind of give them, that scale and that cast of characters, if you, if you, if you, so if it's part of the storyline or whatever, but, but, and, but you kind of know that you've kind of got them on the hook for a, a, a period of time and you can really, um, you know, they, they get more, uh, they get more, you know, settled into that world. I think, you know, I, my novel, I wrote a novel called Shiloh and I've heard a lot of people say that they loved it because they could read it in one sitting, but it kind of felt like a novel experience. And, right. Right. Um, a lot of, um, I think a lot of Laird Barron's novellas feel that way. Uh, yeah. He wrote a novella called Hand of Glory. Yeah. That was so, had so, there was so much going on in that story uh, that it could easily, easily, mm-hmm. easily have been, have been a novel. But, yeah. um, but it felt like you just got so much more bang for your buck yeah. um, in that short novel form. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think paradoxically, it's there is something about just the fact with the novella that you can read it in one sitting that makes it much more immersive. And and so even though you can do so much more world building and in, in a novel, um, you know, you 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 can kind of get away with an, in a novella with just suggesting it and and people you know really get involved and fill it out. And yeah, I read when I read Shiloh, I read it in a single sitting, and and that you know works perfectly for a book like that. Yeah, it's an interesting format, and it seems to be a format that's kind of coming back. A, into into fashion with I think Tor started publishing novellas yeah. and that became a big a big win such as like Victor Lavelle's Battle yeah. of Black Tom and that which was kind of kind of almost jump started the whole market but um so okay so let's talk a couple a little bit about novel writing because I I you've you've had a, three novels is that am I missing one uh one two I think three right <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you're writing a sequel are you still writing a sequel to 
to last last days. Yeah. Okay. So, and how does the novel writing give us a quick sit down for like, if you're a a writer listening to this and you're fascinated by how Brian Evanson writes, how do, what is your approach for the novel versus like a short story or a novella? Well, so, you know, to be honest, I, you know, you mentioned last days was, um, you know, basically it's three novellas, the third of which kind of wraps the other two or connects the other two. And, and, you know, initially when I was trying to write a novel, I had this idea for this, this project that's The Open Curtain, which is about a, a kid going crazy in, in the town I grew up in, um, and lots of weird kind of schizophrenic stuff happening. Um, but when I started working on that, um, you know, I, I was like, I don't know how to write a novel. I don't know how to approach this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to write three novellas and put them together. I know mm-hmm. how to do a novella. I can make this one. And so that worked really good for the first really well for the first two novellas and then i got to the third and suddenly you have to have it work kind of as an you know as a kind of section on its own and also kind of bring everything back together mm-hmm. so it it was really hard um i mean i think I, I wrote the first section in a year second section was really quick like three weeks because i was in an artist colony and then the third section, um, it took me like another four or five years to finish it just because I, I kept on writing things that just didn't quite work. And mm. so, so it was a very painful process in terms of figuring out um, what, you know, what I was doing. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, but, you know, Last Days, too, um, started as a novella called The Brotherhood of Mutilation, which Paul Miller, who you, you know, and who, who I think you and I both admire as a publisher, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, published as, as a kind of uh, chat book. And, and then later I, I just realized that there was more of that story that I wanted to tell. And, and so it, it kind of ended up expanding and, 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 and becoming something else. So, so two of those three books are books that really began as uh, novellas. Uh, Father of Lies, uh, I guess there's four books, Father of Lies and Immobility are the other uh, ones. Um, that is a very, very short n- novel. And there's, um, yeah, I, ju- I think it was just like, just, just a little bit longer than what I'd think of as a novella. And that kind of allowed me to think about it. And then Immobility started in a really weird way. Tor, uh, there was an editor at Tor who saw a, a thing that I'd done with a graphic designer um, who um, asked me to kind of imagine uh, a book that I wouldn't write. Um, and write a fake description of it. And we got Jeff Vandermeer to do um, a kind of fake blurb for it. And he just put this out on his website. And then this editor, uh, Eric Robb, uh, who's no longer there at Tor, saw it and thought, um, uh, I'd really like to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he wrote to me and was like, can you take this imaginary book that you were never supposed to write and write it? Uh, and, and I did. But again, I mean, I think the first draft of that was... 50,000 words. So, so I tend to go more towards the compression. And then the second, um, you know, we, in the end, I kind of reworked it to be about 70, 75,000 words. So now, now here's the other thing that a lot of people might not know about you. And it's, it's an, mm-hmm. which is that you have done a lot of right. tie-in novel. Yes. Movie tie-in work. You, right. You've done some alien stuff. You yep. did Lord of Salem and mm-hmm. you did Feral, which, I don't was that I don't think that was ever a movie, right? It was like a concept that you and the 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 director like co yeah wrote? James DeMonaco. Uh, no, he had a script. Um, right, and you based the novel on the script 
right. right. But the, but the movie like, was never made? <clears throat> it hasn't been made yet. I mean, it oh, okay. looked like it was going to be made at a particular moment, and then I, I'm not quite sure what, what happened, but so far hasn't been. Hollywood happened, yeah. Yeah, Hollywood happened. <laughs> but I'm curious about how you approach, because those, I've read those, I've read, a, I've read two of those books, those tie-ins, I, I've read, mm -hmm. and I've read the Alien one, but, and, um, and they're pretty commercial. Like, yeah. they read like a commercial novel. They don't read like a, yeah, you know, yeah like a Brian Edmondson yeah. story or Brian Edmondson novel. So how do you kind of flip that switch in your head? And is your approach, I mean, obviously you're working on, I would assume source material, which probably is yeah. the biggest, biggest difference, but how do you kind of, you know, how do you approach the, the commercial movie stuff, which you go, I think mm -hmm. you use your BK Edmondson yeah. handle for those <laughs> versus the Brian Edmondson stuff. Cause I thought, I think it's really fascinating just how yeah. different those, the two yeah. um, things are. Yeah, and they definitely feel different. And those are true true novels. They're you know they're eighty or ninety thousand oh, yeah. words long, and long, and so they, they just they, they do feel different. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there was a when I first got asked to do it, there was this um, editor at Dark Horse um, named Victoria Blake, and and she wrote to me and said, um, you know, I know you work. Do you want to do either? Uh, would you want to do either a, an aliens novel or a predators novel? Um, for us. And I was like, Oh no, you know, this was back in the days when I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm a literary writer. And <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, you know, why, why would I do that? Right. Um, and she was like, all right, well just, you know, um, just write a one or two page summary of what you would do if, if you did it and just do that for me. And then if you don't want to do it, it's fine. And so I, I did that. I ended up writing this, this thing up that was supposed to be a one or two page summary. And by the time I was done, I think it was 10 or 15 pages. Mm -hmm. and, and had an idea that I felt like I could do that would be really fun to write and that was connected to my work, but would, you know, it is, it does have a different feel to it, different kind of speed to it, much more plot driven. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just agreed to do it. And then I wrote, I write those books very quickly. Um, you know, I, I can do them um, more quickly than the other fiction I do for whatever reason. And it's partly that, you know, I'm working off an outline. Mm -hmm. uh, which which I don't tend to do with my fiction. I, I might do it sometimes with longer pieces, but but mostly I don't. Um, so and then you know the other things like the Rob Zombie book. Um, I had a, his script that I was working off of, and so I had a kind of structure that was very much in place that I could work with. Same with with the uh, with Farrell, the James DeMonaco book. Um, yeah, and Farrell. I read Farrell when it came out, which I want to say was probably four. Maybe four, mm -hmm. five, four, year, four or five years ago. I'm not sure, but I, I, I also remember Farrell being. You had a unique structure for Farrell, right? I, I'm, I, I'm going by memory, but yeah. there was like a where you, maybe you can. I don't want to misspeak, but like I think you, you had you had like alternating perspectives, or all, you, yeah. and, you, and you alternated between, I think first person and third person. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think so. I mean, it's been long enough. I, I, right. I, I believe that's right. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah, I, I know just as much as you. Apparently, <laughs> but that was interesting yeah. because I, in, you know, that inspired. I remember, at the I remember at the time, um, I was toying with the idea of writing Boys in the Valley as a novel, yeah. and I remember that inspired me to be like, oh, um, I'm going to write this one character in first person. You know, when I alternate, yeah. each character is a different perspective, mm -hmm. and every every character is a third person character. But I wanted this one character to be first person, primarily to give sort of like an unsettling. Uh, yeah. a bit imbalanced and kind of like emphasize for the reader, like, okay, this guy's a little different and his story's a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. I want you to see it a different way. But I, that was, that was, that was, I remember reading Farrell and that was kind of the book that made me realize like, oh, 
that's really fascinating. And I, and I, and when I, when I started writing boys, I, I remember referencing that in my head and, mm-hmm. and going, going that direction with it, but okay, very quickly. Cause we only have a few minutes left before I get my, yeah. the cane comes out. But, yeah, yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit very quickly about your screenwriting, because sure. I know you've done some screenwriting, you've done some adaption of your own work. Right. Uh, you've done some stuff for some companies that haven't mm-hmm. come through, but also you now have even you've, you've been in a writer's room for a while with Peacock yeah. doing a show. Um, and I wanted to know if you could describe your experience with that, not so much, you know, from a, from a purely from a writing perspective, like as right. how it, how it was, how it was going from like writing what you normally write to focusing on writing like a, yeah. you know, a weekly script. Right, 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 right. Well, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I, I worked in two TV rooms over the pandemic. One was for a show for HBO that we wrote the whole show, but then it, it looks like it's been shelved for the moment. I'm not sure if it'll ever get made. Um, and then the other was uh, this show, A Friend of the Family, that Peacock is putting out in October, I think is when it, when it airs. Um, and, 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 you know, in that one, I wrote um, the fifth episode and was one of the three writers who wrote the finale for that as well, the ninth episode. Um, it's, it's a really different experience in some ways. I mean, I'm so used to writing in, um, isolation. Right. Um, and you know, just being able to do whatever I I, I want. And so I wasn't sure how I would feel about the process, but it's, um, the, the showrunners, this guy, Nick Antosca, a really interesting guy who did channel zero and, and a number of other things. Um, and he was just amazing to work with. I mean, he had great ideas, everybody in the room, he'd, he'd chosen like a really good set of people. Um, and so, so it's different because what you're basically doing is, you know, you're working all together to develop the episodes. So you have a kind of idea that is, um, you know, that the showrunner has from, from when he sold the, uh, the series for each episode, but, but it's pretty open. So you spend a lot of time breaking, breaking an episode and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going through and kind of deciding what needs to be where and kind of organizing things and talking about it. And at that point, it's just everybody working. You don't necessarily know that you're going to write the episode after that. And then once you have kind of things charted out and planned out, um, then, um, you, you know, they, they, they give it to one person to write um, and, and then you kind of go through the that. actual script. You mean the, the, the actual script? Yeah. Okay. So I, I wasn't sure if it was like a situation where like, multiple writers were kind of taking a stab at like an episode and then you kind of put it all together and see what worked and what doesn't or what could so sound so it sounds like everyone once once the idea once the the story is outlined and structured then it's usually handed to one writer for the the actual script in that case it was the the first room i was in um we would pair and so there'd be two writers working on an episode together Okay. And, and then you'd kind of have back and forth and one writer would read what the other writer did and kind of do a pass on it. And then the showrunner does a pass, you know, at, at the end after you've done it. So, so basically like the fifth episode that I did, um, uh, which is kind of the central, you know, it's, it's exactly in the middle of the series. Um, I, I, I wrote it. Um, we took it to the room and talked about it. Suggestions were, were, were made there, you know, um, most of which were, were, were great and, and, and very useful. Then you have the showrunner does his pass and then, you know, you kind of revise it. Then it ends up going to the studio and the network. And, you know, depending on what they say, you end up revising things. And, um, and then, you know, and the, the other thing that happens is that once you're actually shooting it, you know, suddenly you have these constraints due to budget and things like that. So yeah. there are things that, 
you know, that, that would be great on the page um, that just don't work <laughs> because, you know, they don't want to spend, um, you know, uh, $50,000 to shoot a scene that's going to last 10 seconds. Yeah. For you screenwriters out there, no car crashes um, and, and no, and no large, no large extras uh, scenes. Right. Um, and and also, no go ahead. Um, pets. Pets are just like, a no, yeah. I know. I just I watched Prey last night, and there's a dog in that, and I was like really impressed that they had a dog throughout. Um, because yeah. uh, I know how much work that is having worked on Picard with the dog. But um, right, right. and then uh, okay, so very quickly, uh, uh, inspirational writers to you. I know in the past you've mentioned Gene Wolfe, you've mentioned yeah. J.G. Ballard. What other writers would you put in that canopy of like influences? Uh, Robert Aikman is a huge influence to me. Sure. I mean, especially kind of recently. Uh, uh, Flannery O'Connor was a was a big early influence yeah, for me. Sure. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, Kafka and Beckett were important to me, uh, kind of from the literary side of things. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I just, yeah, that's I, I, yeah. I well, that's a pretty handsome it. list. Beckett is Beckett is uh, yeah. is just uh, just just. I I I'll be honestly, I'm, I'm more of a fan of his prose than yeah. his plays. But I agree. Yeah. But man, I, I, oh boy, I just, I love, uh, I love, I love his, uh, his, his, his prose so much and talk about unsettling and talk about putting you out yeah. of your comfort zone and, 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 and altering your reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but were you a big Borges fan? Uh, I, I, I am. Yeah. I mean, I like Borges quite a bit and I can't, done a little work on him. Yeah. I can't, you don't, you don't the, I, can't, yeah. I can't connect with Borges. I've tried and tried to, I'll have to keep trying. Um, it's, it's probably just, you haven't, the, the, it, I don't connect to everything with Borges. I think you just have to find the one or two stories that click for you. And it is very, like almost academic in terms of the feel of it. So it's, yeah. It's, and it's been, yeah. well, that, I wonder if that has a lot to do with the translation or I'm I sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't like the, the Hurley translations, the Andrew Hurley translations. I think they're very accurate, but the earlier new direction translations, I like better. Oh, okay. That's good to know. May I'll, may I'll go back and look at those. Um, and last thing, and then I gotta, I gotta yeah. sign off. Um, are there any, uh, books that you would recommend, nonfiction instructional books on writing that you would recommend, or is there your one, is your one or two go-to titles that you would uh, always uh, recommend for a new writer? Uh, you know, the thing that I've, the only one I've taught in classes when I teach kind of creative writing classes is I teach a speculative fiction class at CalArts and um, have used Jeff Vandermeer's Wonder Book um, for that a few times. Interesting. Yeah, I had that it, book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think especially for, um, you know, people who are starting writing and who are interested in fantastical stuff, it's great. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a workbook in a way. Yeah. It's a workbook. Yeah. Um, but I also, it's one of the few books out there I think that's really good in terms of fantastical stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. And it's also very well um, designed. It's a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful yeah. book. All right, Brian. Hey, man, this has been just unbelievable. Thank you so, so very much for, for being here on The Dark Word. I appreciate appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And for all you guys listening, uh, we will see you next time on The Dark Word. Hey, guys. It's Philip again. I wanted to let you know that you can buy any of the books discussed on The Dark Word at The Book House, which is Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to thebookhousemilburn.com, that's M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. 
or visit the actual store in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors we feature here on The Dark Word or at the Book and Film Globe podcast.